Good morning, everyone. How we doing? Good. Uh, praise God for this cold uh, weather uh, that I pray sticks around because I'm enjoying enjoying it. Want to welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us in person and online. Was anybody at our Christmas service this past Wednesday? Wasn't it amazing? Come on. Uh, shout out to all the wonderful kids and their perfect harmonies and uh, all the, the sugar rushes that were happening and uh, most importantly, the joy of the Lord in the room as we worshiped him. So that was such a fun time. Uh, I am really, really excited to, to dive into the word. Uh, Christopher did an amazing job with that transition, really reminding us what this Advent season is all about. Uh, if, if you're sitting from an angle, you can kind of see a cool little smoke arise from this candle. Uh, just consider that the incense of the Lord. Just, just bringing praises to him. Terrible Bible joke, but it works. Um, and so these candles are amazing because they represent hope, peace, joy, and love. And as Christopher said, Jesus, the, the author of those gifts who comes and brings that uh, into our life. And this morning we have lit the final candle, which is the candle of love and the subject that we're going to be diving into. But as I think about these subjects of hope, peace, joy, and love, I really believe these are universal longings inside every single person's heart. That we all long for this experience of peace, no matter where you find yourself in the world. We all long for joy. We all long for hope. And we all desperately long for love. And the radical claim of the Bible and the radical claim of Christianity is that these longings can be found not in what the world is producing, but in a person coming down from heaven and giving them to us in his life. And being a follower of Jesus and placing our faith in him. And so we celebrate this season that Jesus is the embodiment of hope. He is the embodiment of love, of joy, of peace. And as we enter into the season that we're already in, we, we, we practice bringing our attention to this reality that Jesus fulfills these longings in our heart for peace, for joy, for love, for hope. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 54. We're going to look at one verse uh, as we unpack this idea of love. And I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. This is what it says. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us to this place this morning. Uh, We all come entering in from different experiences this week, some hopeful, some hopeless. Some filled with joy, others filled with despair. Some filled with radical experiences of love, others may be filled with loneliness. But this season reminds us that you are God with us, uh, that you've entered into our story so that hope, peace, joy, and love uh, cannot just be these abstract ideas, but they can be embraced in a person. And this morning, as we worship you in the word, I pray that we would experience those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So uh, what we're going to do for the next couple moments is I want to give you some background on the subject of love as it pertains to the Old Testament. And then as we kind of draw this to a close, uh, I want to really speak into what these things mean for our lives. And uh, you'll have no concept of time because these candles burn really, really slow. So 
Thank God for Hobby Lobby. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, uh, there's uh, three preconditions or ideas to know what it means to love. Uh, Trimper Longman uh, did some really cool work on this. Uh, he, he describes these three preconditions or three ideas. And the first one, if we want to know what it means to love, we must understand that we are made in the image of God. Uh, to know what it means to love, we first must understand that we're made in the image of God. So the reason we have capacity for relationships, the reason we have a capacity to love is because we're made in the likeness of a relational God. What do I mean by that? Uh, God exists as a relational being, uh, eternally, equally expressing love to each person in the Trinity. Uh, there's three persons in this Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for all of eternity, they have coexisted together, loving one another equally. Uh, seeking to self-give of themselves for their ultimate joy and their ultimate happiness. Uh, Wayne Grudem says that God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. This definition understands love as self-giving for the benefit of others. This attribute of God shows that it is part of his nature to give of himself in order to bring about blessing or good for others. It's this idea of agape love where God loves us unconditionally uh, for uh, our good and his glory. That he purposefully loves us into becoming all that he desires for us to be. And he's committed to us despite us sometimes. And each person in this trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they model this self-giving posture as each seeks to give joy and happiness to one another in a relationship of love. So because we are created in God's image, This means that we pursue loving others as a self-giving act of worship. We don't practice a life of love to get something. We practice a life of love to give away something. To give away something that has already been given to us. The self-giving love of God that has brought us new life in Christ Jesus. The difference between God's love and human love is that human love is always dependent on um, a a response. It's response-centered. I'll love you if I can get this. I'll love you for the purpose of this. And so it's always, what can I get in return? But God's love is giving of himself sacrificially so that we could be lifted up and be blessed and experience his goodness. The second idea to understanding uh, what it means to love is understanding the true meaning of love depends on a true understanding of God and the barrier he overcomes to pursue us. If we want to understand this concept of love, we must understand who God is and the barriers that he overcomes to pursue us. Uh, God is compelled by love to pursue human beings even though their hearts have been corrupted by sin. In the beginning, God created us to be in a relationship with him, to live in union with him. Sin comes and corrupts uh, this relationship. And now we're, we're separated from God. And our heart that has been designed to love, instead of loving God, loves other things. Loves, loves lesser things. 
And it's this practice that the scripture calls idolatry. That instead of giving our worship and our reverence and our life to God in loving him and serving him and finding ultimate fulfillment in him, we begin to serve whatever this world has to offer. Hear these words I read from an article this week. Sin causes human beings to live as though God did not exist. Sin causes human beings to live as though God did not exist. And so now we go into all the world with this lack of awareness that there's a God who comes and gives love and peace and hope and joy. And we live with this uh, unawareness of his power and presence. And so we begin to look for these things and everything this world has to offer. And we come up empty. The heart that is corrupted by sin doesn't look for love in God, rather it looks for substitute loves. And, and yet, despite this, God has chosen to intervene and step into our mess to rescue us from the hold that sin has on us, that has over our hearts, so we can be free to enjoy life with God. His pursuit of us. Though we are unfaithful, Though we give ourselves over to other sins and lesser loves, though we are moving in a direction that walks away from God and opposes him, God continues to move toward us. And he steps into our life and shows us what true love looks like. He loves you. He pursues you. Despite your history of not loving him the way he deserves to be loved. God has chosen to intervene and step into our mess and to rescue us from the hold that sin has over our hearts so we can enjoy life with God. And hear me, this is the the most important part. The way he initiates these pursuits is through covenants. And this brings us to our third idea. The third idea to understand what it means To love is understanding God's pursuit of human beings was always done by means of him choosing a people and establishing a covenant with them. So what does this word covenant mean? A covenant is a chosen relationship between two parties, God and his people. And they make promises and commitments to to one another. So a covenant is best understood through the idea of of partnership or, or relationship that has specific commitments and specific agreements towards one another. The most familiar example of covenant that we know is the gift of marriage, where where two parties, man and woman, enter into relationship with one another. And they make commitments and agreements towards one another to self love one another into all that God's called them to be. Uh, and, and in this partnership, uh, God invites us through different covenants that we see in the Bible to live with him, to be in relationship with him according to his own terms. God in the biblical history that we see throughout the Bible establishes partnerships establishes covenants with his people for the sole purpose of unfolding his great grand mission that would lead to the grand redemption that we see in Jesus and relationship with him through Christ. This is how God has chosen to unfold and move his mission forward. So when we uh, think about love, we often think about emotions and feelings. Uh, things that are often unseen. And, and those are elements of love, and love is connected to that. But when the biblical writers speak about love, that is not where their mind goes. When the biblical writers speak about love and they write about love, they're primarily talking about commitment. 
They're talking about loyalty. They're talking about faithfulness. And they speak of love primarily in the context of covenants. And so when we get to Isaiah 54, verse 10, the Lord says to Isaiah, the mountains may depart, the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Listen to what's happening. God is extending his love. God is not stopping his pursuit of a sinful people. Why? Because he made a covenant generations before that he is in it for the long run and that he will get his people and rescue them and be in relationship with them. And so these words, as we read them, are supposed to make you think and ask the question, well, how often do mountains depart? And how often do they, are they shaken and and, and crumble? Not very often. How often are hills removed, as the Lord says to Isaiah? How often are they just completely gone and done away with? Not very often. So what the Lord is calling our attention to is that these things are are symbols of security and stableness. Like a mountain is like a mountain. Like it's there. And a hill, I've never moved one, but it takes a lot of work to do away with one in the hill country. They're there. It's stable. It's the ground beneath us. But what the Lord is saying is that they pale in comparison to his steadfast love. That in fact, those things as stable as they seem are here one day and gone tomorrow, but the Lord's love will never depart. And this is really good news for the original hearers of this word. Why? Because the people hearing these words are people who thought to themselves, man, God's really done with us because look at us. We're exiled. We're slaves in a foreign nation, far from home, and we're not going back. And they look at their situation and they look at their surroundings and, 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 and it seems like there's, there's, there's no way that God's working in this. And, and is God disappointed in us? Does God not love us? And yet God, in the midst of their oppression and their suffering, says that he will not remove his love. This is really good news because the people who God is pursuing are people who have broken the covenant with him are people that have gone after other loves, are people who said they would be faithful to God and be with him to the end and have turned their backs on him, and now they find themselves suffering the consequences for their idolatry. And despite their unfaithfulness, God remains faithful and continues to pursue them. And here's what's so amazing about Isaiah chapter 54. is that Isaiah 54 is simply a summary of three significant covenants that God made with his people that each would play a specific part in unfolding God's great plan to rescue the world. So like a trilogy of movies, one building off of another, they all come together with this grand resolution that is found in Jesus. And he gives this summary of these three covenants to spark hope, to spark peace, to spark joy in their lives. And we're going to go through them very briefly. So Isaiah 54, verse 1 through 3 says, Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. 
Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will possess the desolate cities. We read this and, 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 and sometimes it feels like we're disconnected and that's okay. It's a totally different culture. But the people of God hearing this story instantly would have remembered that God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. And, and this is connecting to this moment in Abraham's life where in the book of Genesis, he speaks to Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless you with land and with children. And ultimately a child is going to come from your lineage. That name, that child is Jesus, who's going to rescue all of God's people from sin. But there was um, an issue in the story is that Abraham's wife, Sarah, was in old age. Uh, it says she was barren. She was beyond childbearing years. Uh, they were in their 90s, and, and that's hard, okay? It's not very easy. And they look into their physical uh, circumstances, and they think to themselves, hope is far gone. There's no way I can have a child. Ha- Did God really speak? Did he really show up? Because everything is not in our favor. And yet what we see happen is, is, is this amazing moment where the Lord speaks to Sarah and says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too hard for him? And they conceive and they give birth to Isaac. And what's so amazing about this is that God said he was going to do something and, and he did it. And it seemed impossible, but nothing is too difficult for the Lord. With God, all things are possible. So what does this have to do with the story that we're reading? What does this have to do with the moment that we find ourselves in where there's a people of God who are completely separated and exiled and living oppressed in a foreign nation? The idea is that God's people, they may may find themselves far from home. They may feel barren. They may feel dry because they're in a fruitless land and everything has been taken away from them and they're operating as slaves to an oppressive nation. And it seems like their situation uh, is a great barrier between them and God, but it is no more of a barrier than Abraham and Sarah's barren situation and nothing is too difficult for the Lord. God is faithful to his promises and he will bring his people to the cities, to the nations that was promised to Abraham and they will spread all over from the right to the left, proclaiming the goodness and love of God. And though it seems like there's no way that we can give birth to this promise, nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Though it seems like we're oppressed and enslaved in a foreign nation and there's no way of coming back home, nothing is too difficult for the Lord. We get to verse four and it says, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you. 
but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So this is speaking to a covenant God made with Moses. Uh, He entered into a, a partnership, a relationship. And so we have the two parties, God and the people of God under Moses, and they come into this agreement. Uh, through Moses, God freed the people from their slavery in Egypt and gave them the law, the Ten Commandments, plus the 600 other ones uh, that we read in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy. And the law was a good gift, hear me, that God gave his people that told them how to live holy lives and uh, in response to God rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. And so God rescues his people, hear me, for no other reason Then he loved them, and we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 7 says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath, the covenant, that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that I will prosper you, that I will redeem you, I will save you. He's keeping that covenant and extending it to Moses. It is, bec- it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So why does this matter? Israel at this time is a young nation and they're a small nation when we read about them uh, in Exodus enslaved to Egypt. And, and, and listen to what Old Testament scholar Barry Webb says. He says, in her youth, Israel had suffered the shame of slavery in Egypt. In her maturity, she was to suffer the disgrace of widowhood in Babylon. But as the Lord then took her to be his bride, entering into a covenant with her at Mount Sinai, so he would take her again and renew his relationship with her. He would not cease to be her husband and redeemer. This covenant with Moses would stand. The covenant would stand, though they are enslaved yet again in a foreign place because of their sin. Here is the wonderful news. God will not abandon his bride. The last covenant we see is the one that's made with Noah, which uh, happens happens before the previous two, but he puts it last for a specific reason. In verse 9, he says, this is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. This covenant is special because unlike the previous two, they were made with specific people between God and Abraham and God and Moses. But this one is made with all of the human race in mind. And you know the story, a a great flood covers the earth and Noah and his family are commissioned by God to bring new life to the whole earth. And while this global flood destroys the whole world, Noah and his family are preserved and protected. And while it seems like for the people of God in Isaiah 54, uh, it seems like this time of exile is destroying them. Their culture is being destroyed. Their families are being ripped apart. And it seems like everything is going against them. But God says that he will protect them the way he protected Noah in order that they might become a blessing to the whole world. And with these three covenants in mind, we get to verse 10. The mountains may depart, the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. 
My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. In other words, God's commitment to his people that he loves is as firm and unshakable as his commitment to the world he created. He will not destroy them. He will not depart from them. He will remain their husband because he is committed to preserving and blessing his world. And these people are the means by which he has chosen to do it. This is the idea of love that the biblical writers have in mind when they speak of love. They're not speaking of things that are unseen. They're speaking of action, of things that can be seen. They're speaking of these uh, great moments of faithfulness and loyalty where love arrives in places where it shouldn't. Where love arrives and meets a nation who's committed adultery against their husband and they've walked out on God and love arrives and rescues them and shows them that he is not finished with them. Uh, When the Bible speaks of love, it speaks of, of sacrifice, of going the distance to remain loyal and to remain faithful, to seek out the well-being of others by giving of yourself selflessly to see them experience their highest good and blessings. And the love that God loves us with, as we're seeing, is this unconditional love. So what does this have to do with you and I? Did some Bible history in in one chapter? Where, Where do we go with this? How does this speak to us today? As we consider these covenants and these ancient words spoken to Isaiah, how does it play out in the lives that we're living in? Well, each Christmas season is a yearly reminder that we're in a relationship with God who keeps his promises. And his love for us does not run out. And as we consider these covenants, they remind us that God has been at work since the beginning to pursue us and enter into a relationship with us that would be for our highest good, despite us separating ourselves from him because of our sin. And yet what we see is that God's love can break through barren circumstances. God will not love us more or less according to our sinful history and that he is willing to protect us in his love when the whole world is falling apart. And this love is the reason why we can experience hope, peace, and joy. And we've been saying that that hope is not just this abstract idea. Rather, our hope can be anchored in the person of Christ. We've been saying that, 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 that peace is a person and he comes to bring us peace that surpasses our understanding, that surpasses our experience. So when that everything is not peaceful out there or on my phone or in my family, God comes and brings a peace that not only temporarily calms situations, but is intended to make us whole. And that this peace isn't dictated by circumstances, it's anchored in a person. And the same thing is said about joy, that we can find joy not because of what this world is giving us, but because of who God is and what he's done for us. And the scripture says that Jesus died so he can get his joy inside of us. And so now we have a joy that is not from this world, that is other world, that is from heaven, and we can live and navigate this world And this world can't take this joy away from us because as we've said and heard, it didn't give it to us. And the reason why these are possible is because of love. How? Because love came down. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love came down, entered into his creation and into our story. Why? So that we might live through him in this love Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to die for the wrath that our sins against him deserve. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The son, the father provided the son, hear me, so that we could cross over from death into life. As verse nine says that we might live through him. Lives, living lives through him is important. Why? Because Jesus lived and perfectly fulfilled the covenants that the Father made with his people. Jesus fulfilled the covenants and kept their end of the deal and never breaks them. The covenant of Abraham. Jesus is from the family of Abraham, born into a barren situation of a virgin and enters into a hostile, persecuted world. And the Father protects him and he remains faithful despite all the corruption that's going on around him. He is the faithful one who obeys the law, the gift that was given to Israel and the people of Moses. And when they turned their backs on the law and decided to be a law for themselves and live their own way, Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. He is the king from the line of David coming to deliver us from the true enemy of sin so we can experience peace. And in fulfilling these covenants, he establishes a new covenant a new partnership, a new relationship, new commitments, new ways of relating to God, that God promises to forgive sins and enter into relationship with people on the basis of Jesus dying for those sins on the cross and removing the barrier of sin, that we may live by grace, not according to law. The father goes the distance and sends the son. The son dies for our sins. He is resurrected and now the Holy Spirit comes and abides and dwells among us. And now we have this relationship with God that isn't dictated by the law, by our sinful circumstances, by our history, by who we are or what we think we've done. But we merely enter into this relationship upon placing our faith in Jesus, the one who fulfilled the covenants and has the authority to establish the new one, the one that the Old Testament spoke about. One where God is always with us because now there is freedom from the power of sin and freedom from death, freedom to love and freedom to be loved. Hear this quote from Kent Hughes. Love is not like other subjects. It cannot be understood and then practiced. It can only be understood by practice. It is more like measles than math. Uh, meaning that it's, it's highly contagious and you just have to go through it to know what it's like. Uh, this is a dated quote because I don't think measles is, well, in some parts of the world, measles is a thing. Uh, shout out to you, Pacific Northwest. Just kidding. It can only be understood by practice. It is more like measles than math. John affirms that the essence and evidence of Christian living is love. We are commanded to love one another, and John gives two reasons for doing so. The first reason, love has its source in God. 
Just as light radiates from the sun, love radiates from God's very nature. Hope, peace, joy, love can often feel abstract and distant. But these things become real and close in Jesus. And Jesus is born of a baby and enters into our story. This means that love can be embraced. Love can be touched. Love can be experienced. God is with us in the good and the bad. God is with us in our mess. And his love transforms our hearts and enables us to come alive and is shining over us. Have you received this love? Are you practicing this love? Let us close in prayer.